It's time for You Heard It Here, the official podcast of Bucknell University Athletics. Get to know student-athletes, coaches, and more bison. Now here's your host, Doug Birdsong. Welcome to this edition of the You Heard It Here podcast, brought to you by Wise Markets. As you know by now, this is the podcast devoted strictly to Bucknell University Athletics. Now, we're going to start this edition of the podcast with our head coach's spotlight. That's how we normally start things out. And in our socially distanced way, uh, he and his office, me at my home, <laughs> we get to bring on a very special guest today, men's basketball head coach, Nathan Davis. Coach Davis, thanks for joining us. Doug, it's a pleasure to be with you once again. Yes, even though I can't see you, uh, but it is good to be able to hear your voice. And uh, hopefully basketball will be starting soon. We'll talk about that as we go along with our podcast interview today. But first, let me take you back some, a few years, if you will. Growing up, did you always want to play the game of basketball? You know, for as long as I can remember, I loved playing. Um, I grew up in a family with my father and my uncle and other people that really loved basketball. So as long as I can remember playing um being being active, I was playing basketball. But I mean, I played football, I played baseball, stickball. We did all those stuff. But basketball is something certainly that I really enjoyed doing. Well, now when you take a look back at those days, at some point, I'm sure most people have an idea. Yeah, you know, I could continue this on to college or whatever. Or they may have an idea. Yeah, I could be able to go past high school. At what point did you feel like, hey, I have some serious skills in the game of basketball, and you wanted to kind of focus just on basketball if that ever happened, but I'm sure at some point, you know, it came to the point where you said, I would definitely like to play college basketball. Well, I think serious skills is overstating my abilities a little bit. Um, I was I was a good, a good player, nothing nothing spectacular. But I think that, uh, you know, I think growing up like most kids, I played a lot of different sports. Um, and then in my neighborhood, I was great. I lived in the neighborhood with a lot of kids my age. And so it seemed like during football season, we were playing football, we were playing basketball in the summer, we were swimming, we were playing baseball. You, know, you name it, we were doing it, and I said, really, I, I I didn't really just the point where I finally just started playing basketball probably wasn't until high school. Um, up until then, I played a lot of different things, but in high school, we didn't really really just started playing basketball. And it was one of those things. I was, it's it's one of those things now where, I mean, basketball is a long season, and even in high school, you're talking about November through March, and so um, around that, it was good to get a little break in from some of the sports uh, playing competitively, but. Like I said, I think I think high school is when I really just started playing basketball mainly. You mentioned, of course, your uh, family background, and that kind of led you to wanting to play basketball and other sports too. But is there something about the game of basketball that you really just love, and and you know that may be different than football or some other sports? You know, I think a couple of things. I think first off is that there's it's it's more of a free flowing. You don't have a stoppage every after every play. Um, you got to be able to play both offense and defense. You've got to be able to um, think through the game on the fly without having as many breaks to kind of figure out what's coming next or what you just saw. Um, I think that, that just the pace um, without the stoppages is what kind of intrigued me. Did you pick up the game of basketball and the nuances of it pretty quickly, you feel? I don't know. I think you're always learning. I think even today we're learning. You're, it's, I've been doing it, college coaching now for 20 years. I think I learn something new every day. Um, I, uh, I I don't know that you can say they, they came easy. I think it, it, I just I just watched a lot of it and obviously was playing a lot. And I think the more you do that, the more you learn. 
Now, I'm sure a lot of people have heroes or idols or, you know, people they look up to while you're growing up, maybe particular sport that you're following or playing, like basketball in this case. Were there any basketball players as you came through the ranks in junior high, high school, whatever the case may be, that you said, wow, I would love to play like them or I just like the way they play? Yeah, there's three that really stand out. I mean, I grew up in the 80s in the D.C. area. Um, so I was a big Georgetown fan, and everyone thinks about Patrick Ewing at the time. My favorite Georgetown player was always Reggie Williams with Reggie and the Miracles. He graduated in 1987. I think it was the third pick by the uh, by the Clippers. Um, I just really liked the way he played. But at that time of year, obviously, the NBA was a big thing, and my two favorite players, bar none, without question, were Magic Johnson and uh, Dr. J. Um, now, you weren't the only players. one who liked those two players, I'm sure. But what was it about those two players? Was it their style, their flash? Because both were flashy in their own way. Or was it just you know, the, the overall way they carried themselves? It was all of the above. Um, love the way they play. Like, I always love passing. And I even if you – I don't play anymore. I'm too old and slow and fat to play anymore. But if you were to see me play, you'd see that I actually dribble a lot like Magic Johnson, kind of that high, pounded dribble. I had very similar ball handling sets to him. Um, now, I couldn't jump like Dr. J, so I wasn't playing above the rim. But um, I think the way they played, the way they carried themselves on and off the court was just something that gravitated to me. That's pretty cool. You, you know, you, as you said, you grew up in that Virginia, Maryland, D.C. kind of area and stuff. Um, so maybe it was a natural to maybe go to Randolph-Macon. But but was it, there something that drew you to Randolph-Macon College that made you say, hey, you know, I want to go to college here, number one. But then number two, I want to play basketball there. Well, playing basketball is something I definitely wanted to do. Um, and growing up, um, with my family's background, I went into things. We did a lot of research in the schools and wanted to make sure I went somewhere I could get a good education and do well when I graduated. And certainly ran off making fell on that. But really the big thing for me was, was or a couple of things was, first, they recruited me very hard. Um, Hal Nunley, who since passed away, was a coach at the time. He saw me play numerous times. They were very active in recruiting me and gave me a lot of attention. But really what it came down to for me was, it was a couple of things. Um, Distance, it was close enough. I could get home. I wanted to, but didn't have to go home or didn't want to. In my high school career, we never were very good. Um, we were 500, I think, twice, or maybe actually once out of the three years I played varsity, we were 500. Only uh, made the playoffs one in three years, and, and winning was something that I really wanted to be a part of. And Randolph making a tremendous history, tremendous tradition of success. Um, and I felt like there was a place I could go and, and not only get a great education and, and become a better player, but we were going to have a chance to win year in, year out. And, uh, and and the winning was what really, was really, really pushed me there. Well, they're still winning. I think I just saw a poll the other day that they're picked as the preseason number one pick for Division Three. Am I correct in that? That is true. And one publication did pick them first. I mean, it's a great situation when you talk about uh, this is probably not as well known in this area, but Randolph Lake is very well known nationally uh, as far as basketball goes at all levels. Um, tre- a lot of tremendous coaches have come through there, um, some good players. Um, but it's a situation where you, they, they, much like here at Bucknell, it's important to them there to be good at basketball. And so if support of the administration, support of the athletic department, support of the alumni, and you had a chance to be successful every year, it's a, it's a really unique situation. 
That is neat. I know you were kind of poo-pooing your abilities as a basketball player. Folks don't believe Coach Davis at all. He had a tremendous career with the Yellow Jackets, and, and you were a great player there. But was there one moment, and it could have been an individual moment or a team moment, that really stood out to you during your career there with the Yellow Jackets? You know, there's two, um, and like, honestly, they were they were more team moments than anything else. Was my freshman year. Like I said, I went there. A lot was because I wanted to win, and we were playing in the semifinals of the conference tournament. We're playing in the Salem Civic Center down in Roanoke, Virginia, where the Division Three Final Four is held. Has been held re- up until recently every year. That was where our tournament was played, and we were playing Roanoke College. It really, was my final two was going to Randolph Macon or going to Roanoke, and I chose Randolph Macon. And we had played Roanoke twice during the year and lost both times. And they were the number two seed. We were the number three seed in the tournament. We were playing the semifinals in Salem, Virginia, which is basically on Roanoke's campus. And uh, and one of my teammates, was a, we actually got out big and held on, held on. And Roanoke came back. And Hillary Scott, who was a great, great player, uh, was an assistant at Penn State for a while. Is now the head coach of Lynchburg College, um, made a shot with about three seconds left to finally put them up one. And... One of my teammates, Kurt Axe, went the length of the floor and hit a three at the buzzer to win and wow. sent us to the, to the finals. Um, so that was a big one. And then my senior year, um, when we when we actually got news that we'd made the in-state tournament, but finally, uh, after my first two years, we hadn't been able to get it done. My senior year, we finally were able to get, get over the hump and get back in the NCAA tournament. So those were some pretty big moments. Well, and, and let's put this into context, too. I mean, yeah, Randolph-Macon had a great program, but the league Randolph-Macon plays in, I believe maybe the Old Dominion League, you, you'd be able to tell me better, but um, it's one of the – there are lots of good teams, lots of good programs with a lot of history and tradition in that conference, right? No doubt. The Old Dominion Athletic Conference is the league, and so let's just take when I was, in the, when I was the head coach there back in my first year in 2010, 2009, 2010. That year, we were number one in the country for two weeks. Um, Guilford was number one in the country for two weeks. And then Eastern Mennonite and Virginia Wesleyan, two other teams in the league, were also both in the top five nationally several times <laughs> over that year. Um, we had two teams in the final four. We had three teams in the final eight that year. Um, and one of the teams that went to the final four beat Guilford, beat, Emory, uh, beat Eastern Mennonite to go to the final four um, that year. So, Year in year out, it was it was great. I always felt like when we got in the NCAA tournament, Division Three is a little different in the way they select teams. Um, it's a smaller tournament, so in a lot of ways, it's harder to get in. Um, it always felt like we would go play a lot, of, a lot of teams, and for the most part, in the first couple of rounds of the NCAA tournament, the teams we were playing would have been like eighth or ninth in our league. I thought. Well, and and to extrapolate that a little bit further, Coach Davis. Then the way the NCAA Division Three ranks do it, they do their as you go through the NCAA tournament, you start playing teams in your own conference because it's more of a regional base. So it's not like the Division One tournament where you may have four great teams in the ACC, Big East, whatever. You know, the one year the Big East had three of the final four teams in, in Rupp Arena in Lexington. That's not always the case with the Division Three. So you face them twice in the regular season, once possibly in a postseason tournament or your conference tournament. Then you probably face them again trying to make your way through the, the NCAA tournament, don't you? Yeah, playing, like I'll take the last year I was there in 2015. We had a great team. We won 25 games in a row. Virginia Wesley also had a really good team. Um, we played them four times, including in the uh, – in the uh, what would be known as the regional final at home. And actually, unfortunately, we lost that game. 
ended our game, our streak of, our, we started our streak of 25 wins with them, and we finished our streak of 25 wins with a loss to them, um, which is a little disappointing. But yeah, so Division Three, the way they do it is, they it's it's a lot more regional. Um, nationally, they're trying to obviously save money and travel costs, so there's certain distances you can fly and not, um, and things like that. So they try to avoid flights as much as possible with the with pairing teams. So yeah, you end up playing for the most part more regionally um, throughout the tournament until you get to the semifinals. You certainly get to know. Do you do you get respect for those teams in your conference? Do you gain more respect, or do you kind of get a little bit more agitated out of because you play them so often? You know, I think it can be a little bit of both. Um, it 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 depends. I think there's certain teams. I think it's natural when you're when you're competing with somebody year in year out. And for us, at the and when I was at Randolph Macon at the time, Randolph Macon's main rival across school was Hampton City. Um, we're both all male schools for a long time. Randolph Macon in the '70s went co-ed. Um, they were only about an hour and a half apart. So the the school rival is Hampton City. I think for basketball over the last decade, 20 years, honestly, it's been Virginia Wesleyan more than anyone else. Um, and and I think when you're competing at a high level against somebody like that year in, year out, and Dave Seals, a coach there, um, who, has, who's, who actually is a good friend of mine, I think there is a respect. Like, you want to beat each other badly and entirely intense, but you respect the way they run the program, expect the way they're consistent, the way they play year in, year out. I mean, it's hard to be on top year in, year out. Everyone thinks it's easier that way, but there's just different pressures. They come with it. And uh, and to do it year in, year out is very challenging. I don't think there's anything you can do but respect that. Well, you mentioned pressure. And I, you know, there are obviously a lot of jobs around the country, around the world that have pressure uh, aspects to them. I don't know that there are too many jobs, though, that have the kind of pressures being a head coach in a basketball setting has. So let's go back to the time. At what point did you decide you would like to coach basketball? Because some people would say, there is no way I'm going to do that and put myself into that kind of pressure cooker. You know, it really was when I was in high school. Um, Like I said, I I think I'm pretty realistic. And it was pretty obvious at that point that I wasn't going to get paid to play basketball anywhere. Um, and like I said, I, I love the game. I love the strategy. I love watching it and learning. Um, and in high school, I really thought, you know what I want to do is I want to I want to go to college. I want to play as long as I can. I want to become a – I think I'm going to major in history. I'm going to become a teacher and, and coach high school basketball. That's kind of what I thought I wanted to do. And then when I got to Randall Lake and out of college and kind of saw how that went and the differences between college and high school with the scouting and the recruiting and the – more practice time and all that stuff. Really, my freshman year, I, I knew that I wanted to coach college basketball. And so actually, I sat down with my head coach there, Hal Nunley, at the end of my, it might have been going, it was either going into my sophomore year, I can't remember, or, or midway through it, and kind of told him this is what I wanted to do. And, um, and he helped me. <laughs> well, is that unusual? Do you know very many that go in with that kind of uh, determination to go into coaching that young? that early in, in their college career? And as you said, maybe in your case, even back to high school where you at least had that thought? I, I certainly know of some. I mean, I can't speak to everybody, but it, when I was so like when I was at Randolph-Macon, um, like I said, it's a place that that produces a lot of people in coaching. I mean, talk about Sean Finley, the head coach at Tulane, Greg Marshall, um, Jeff Reynolds, who was the head coach of the Air Force, worked there. 
um, Mike Rhodes, who's the head coach at VCU, was uh, was an assistant and the head coach there. Uh, I can go right down the list. Uh, Kevin Eastman, who has been in the NBA for a long time, he was the athletic director there for a while after after coaching college basketball. So there's a lot of a lot of people that come through there. That's what they do. And like so, I played at the time when I played in at, at Randolph Lincoln. So Sean Macklin, who was an assistant here at Bucknell for a while, was two years behind me. Was on the team. Um, he's now the head coach at IMG in Florida. Chris Carlson was on the team. Chris is an, is the associate head coach at, at uh, Hawaii now, and actually when uh, their head coach was out last year, for instance, that period for the health reason, he took over. So I came up, and, and at that time there were a lot of guys in the program that wanted to get into coaching. Um, that might have been unique to some other places. It's hard for me to say. It's just kind of the way it was there. That's that's really neat that that coaching tree exists with Coach Mumley and all the way down through you and all these others is and and so forth. You know, you think about John Bayline and and I'm pretty certain he never he always when he first became a coach he was a head coach and that's just unbelievable from Division three all the way up to the NBA you know up until last year I guess with Cleveland. But you are kind of an anomaly, I would think, in coaching. I, I say that because your first job, and you can, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think your first job was at a Division One program under one of the best coaches, in my opinion, in the history of Division One, Don DeVoe, at the U.S. Naval Academy. Was that where you started? And, and is that unusual, if that is the case, that you could get your very first job as an assistant at a Division One program un, under a great head coach? Well, certainly it was a great opportunity. My, my first job in college coaching was, um, so I actually did an extra year at Randolph-Macon because I needed, I decided late to get a second major and needed the extra year to, to finish it. And so I did a year there as a student assistant um, for Coach Nunley. Um, and actually the full-time assistant that year for his first time was Mike Rhodes, who's now the head coach at VCU. Um, then the next year, I actually had a great opportunity. My first job in coaching, uh, full-time job in coaching, was at a school called Emory and Henry College which was in our league in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference in Southwest Virginia for a, a man named Bob Johnson. And um, Coach Johnson was an all-time great human being. Um, he went down there um, and really started that program. It's got a tremendous amount of success, but a little bit about his background. Coach Johnson's father was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff for Lyndon Johnson during the Vietnam War. <laughs> and Coach got thrown out of West Point where he was going to school initially because he wouldn't he wouldn't turn in kids for cheating on a test. And he ended up graduating from Dickinson and served a couple tours in Vietnam as a ranger um, before coming back and getting into coaching. But he built a program there that has tremendous amount of success. I mean, you go down the line, I can talk talk about, about trees. Mike Young, the head coach of Virginia Tech, played for him and worked. It was his assistant. Um, Jimmy Allen, good friend of mine, obviously, <laughs> we've talked about before at Army, played for him. It was an assistant there. Jamie and Christian, who people at Bucknell ought to know well because he was our ops guy. He was an assistant there. Um, John Coffin, who was the head coach at uh, Purdue Fort Wayne, was the assistant there right after me. So I got a chance to go war for him, and it was a tremendous experience because, I mean, I'm, I'm 23 years old. He's listening to me. He's, he's helping me grow. He's teaching me how to coach the game. He gave me a ton of responsibility right away. Um, and he had to do everything. Uh, Division three, you don't have staffs of four and five people. It's just you and the head coach. And so whether it was recruiting, travel, workouts, you name it, I was involved in it right away from day one. And he guided me and and uh, and, and, and really laid the groundwork um, for 
any success I've had. And then a lot of respects was coming from there. And then I did go to go to uh, Navy, and I was again. You talk about how things work. Coach Nunley, who I played for, Hal Nunley and uh, Randolph Macon, had become good friends with Coach Chabot when Coach Chabot was head coach of Virginia Tech in the seventies. And so they had a good relationship. And uh, yeah, actually, one of Coach Nunley's former assistants, Dennis Sensitz, who was an assistant when I was there, had worked for Coach Chabot at Navy a few years before me. Um, it was at the time he moved on to Citadel. It was at Colgate for a while. Is now the head coach at Allentown Central Catholic here, not too far from here. Um, but so there was that that background. And then Jimmy Allen, who I mentioned earlier, who's now at Army, is the head coach and had played at Emory and Henry, where I was then an assistant, was on Coach DeVoe's staff at Navy at the time. And so there was a lot of connections that allowed me to get the foot in the door. But getting a chance to work in the Naval County was a tremendous experience. Coach DeVoe gave you a lot of a lot of responsibility as well. He let you do your job, expect you to work hard. But certainly there was a ton of things I learned from him as well, too. Oh, that is so deep. I have a little more answer for it. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's that's so awesome because that I, I don't think very many people, just your closest friends and so forth, may have known about all this, Coach Davis. Well, you know, you mentioned about Coach Johnson, too, at Emory and Henry. You had to love it because he had so much history wrapped around him and his, you know, his family, his father, et cetera. And, of course, like you said, you were a history major, so uh, you must have loved that time. It was great, and Coach Johnson, like he he worked you, and he was tough. Um, we're talking about tough. He was there's a guy we used to joke that he used to say all the time that he could he would like I said he was a ranger in Vietnam, and so he would talk about it um, at times. He wanted to just bring it up, but you could talk about it. And he would talk about how they would go out for a week and be around the Viet Cong and hiding and not able to speak, and and then he would he would joke about how he could kill you five. 50 different ways with a spoon <laughs> and things like that. But he was very approachable. Like people on campus loved him. Like like he was a generally a, a good guy and, and a great, great basketball coach. And one of the, the things that, excuse me, I've, I've benefited from, I think everywhere I've worked, I've worked for a lot of good coaches. Everyone's been a good coach and they all have different styles. And so I got to see a lot of different ways to do things. Well, that, that's a great segue, Coach Davis. That brings me up to my next question, because after five seasons working with Don DeVoe, one of the best in the business, you were contacted by Bucknell head coach Pat Flannery, another one of the best in the business, obviously, to move to Lewisburg. Now, you're in the midst of working with Coach DeVoe. You guys have had a ton of success in the Patriot League with Navy. Was it difficult to move from Annapolis to Lewisburg and to move from the Naval Academy to Bucknell, even though they both are great and, and certainly Bucknell had had a lot of success in the Patriot League, in fact, losing to Navy in some cases in the tournament? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, we, we've talked some about connections with getting the Navy. Well, the, the way things worked with Bucknell, so we go back and I've mentioned Mike Rhodes, who obviously, um, I don't know how familiar people with, he was the head coach of VCU, who's one of my best friends. We worked at, at Randolph-Macon together for a year. Well, he played for, for Coach Flannery at Lebanon Valley. They won a national championship, um, was national player of the year. And being at Navy, I had a chance to to uh, to obviously become familiar with Bucknell and the program, and I thought that Coach Flannery was just a great coach. I thought he always got the most out of his teams, um, which I think is the hardest thing to do in, in, in basketball and any coach in any sport to be able to say, if you can say at the year, end of the year that your team's been as good as it can be, I think you've done a pretty good job. And I always felt like that you could say that about his teams. And so actually through Mike Rhodes, when the, when it became known, and actually Sean Macklin, like I mentioned him earlier, talking about Small World, who I played with at, uh, at Randolph-Macon, was on staff with, with Coach Flame, was actually getting out, of, getting out of coaching at the time for a while. So there was connections that – 
actually I was able to reach out through them to Coach Wayne and let him know that, yeah, it's something I would be very interested in doing. I thought it was a chance to uh, to learn a different style, um, to go to a place where everything was, was coming in the position to be really good. I thought that the, the Bucknell was just now going to go to Merit Aid and scholarships, and we had, we had the first class come in. Soika had just opened. <laughs> so there's a lot of good things going on. I thought with these things that they had a chance to really take off. Um, and become even better. And so um, through contact, we were able to, 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 to get in touch and it, it fortunately worked out for me. Well, you brought up about merit aid scholarships, Soika Pavilion opening, you know, the beautiful campus Bucknell University has. Do you think all of those kind of help shape why Bucknell's program is as strong as it is now? Um, all of those things together? Yeah, no doubt about it. I think that we're fortunate here. We've got a great, great opportunity. We got a chance. We had a great facility. We have the support of the people in the area, the support of the administration, all the way from our athletic to the to the what we call up on the hill with the academic side um, and, the, and the president's office drawn down. And all that plays into being successful. If you don't have that, you're not going to be successful, especially over a long period of time. And and the reason why we've been successful here is 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 with. The, the merit aid, the facility, and the resources to to attract quality student athletes um, to give you a chance to be to be successful and win. Now, of course, everybody knows you were here during one of the most incredible runs, in my opinion, a school Bucknell side has has size has ever made. Um, two Patriot League regular season titles, two postseason titles went undefeated in the one year in the Patriot League. Very few leagues have ever had a school go undefeated. Um, and that's the only time in the Patriot League's history to this point that's happened. Then you win back-to-back first-round NCAA games. You know, let's look back at that time in the 04, 05, 05, 06 seasons. Are you even a little surprised at how well those teams played and the accomplishments those teams had during those years? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I, I thought that we could be really good when you looked at the talent we had and the type of people we had with I mean, the people you always hear about, obviously, Charles Lee and Kevin Bencourt and Chris McNaughton, but. We had Donald Brown come out on the bench. We had Darren Mashapol. We had John Griffin. We had Abe Madness. I mean, let's make no mistake, whether it was 2005-06 or a couple years ago when you have Nana Fallon and Zach Thomas and Stephen Brown and Kimmel McKenzie I mean, and Nate Sestina. I mean, you're, gonna, you're only successful as the ability your players have. And we were fortunate. We had really good players that were coachable and wanted to be good and, and wanted to win. Um, and honestly, when I think back about those times, obviously beating – Beating Kansas and Arkansas, going on the field, all that stuff was great. But I often try to remind myself: everyone remembers those things. Everyone remembers, even with in the last few years, they remember the beating Colgate to get the NCAA tournament and playing right down the wire at Michigan State. But it's never easy. Um, and I think back a lot of times about some of the downtimes and the, being able to to persevere and fight out of a hole. I mean, you talk about the year we we beat Kansas. I think we were three and three or two and three at one point. Just got spanked at Penn, <laughs> you know, and no one remembers that. <laughs> I do, um, I do, and that's as as much as I think. Even now, even more so than the the successes, you remember back and think back to how did you handle that adversity, and how did the team handle that adversity to get out? Because that's a lot of what you learn from. Well, another thing that happened during your tenure here at Bucknell, Coach Flannery had some issues with some illness, and you had to, at the spur of the moment, take over a team during the course of a game. 
I don't know how you did it. I mean, I know, you know, the things you learned from Coach DeVoe, you know, Coach Bubbly, Coach Johnson, all of them, Coach Flannery, of course, that helped you. But to be thrust into that situation right then when you can't prepare in some cases, and that's what happened, what was going through your mind at that time? Well, I I, I think the, the first thing I remember about that, and certainly that's not an ideal way to go, but part of, of being a good team, and I think we were really well coached, is that, by the time you get to the games, I mean, there's certainly little adjustments you're making, but most of the, the work should kind of be done. Um, and, and, and I mean in that you should know how to handle certain different situations. What are they doing offensively? What are they doing defensively? Um, guys should be able to, if, you, if you've done a good job, to kind of adjust on, the, on their own and have seen it before. So we certainly were in that position. It was more just managing the game. I've been fortunate in that, and honestly, it's something that, it's overlooked one of the great things about working at Navy for Coach DeVoe is we had a JV team. And I got to coach the JV team. And we played legit. We recruited. People don't get us at Navy. So Navy, my first year, this is going to sound unbelievable. Uh, we go into practice the first day of October. It was October 15th at the time. We had 40 recruited players on our team. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Walking into practice, we have two full courts. And we have 40 players um, on the team. And it would whittle down as a year. When I think we ended up with 20. But we played uh, – we played with our with JV schedule, and so we played some really good teams. We played a lot, all the New England prep schools would come down and play us. Hargrave, I mean, Forking. We played really good teams, and I got to coach those games. And so that was a tremendous learning experience. So the actual game coaching um, was different uh, a little bit in that, you, that you're kind of in charge. But at the same time, so much of the work as far as the preparation and thing is done before the, the game starts. And now there's certain adjustments you got to make based on what they're doing. But even in those adjustments, you shouldn't be reinventing the wheel. It should be something that you've kind of done before and seen before. All right, we thought they were going to do this. They're doing this, so we need to do that. And, and Coach uh, Flannery sort of prepared our, our teams for that. And then add to it with the guy. We had great leadership, too, on the court with Charles Lee and Kevin and McNaughton. And, I mean, right down the line, Abe, all those guys. Um, tremendous leadership on the court in the locker room. So um, I, was, I was fortunate to be in a good situation. Well, and you made the most, most of that situation. I can promise you that. Now, Coach Flannery, after a number of years you were with him, decided to uh, move into development at Bucknell. And you spent a year at Colgate up in Hamilton, New York. And then you became head coach of your alma mater, Randolph-Macon. You know, we talked already about what it meant to you to play at Randolph-Macon and just the tremendous uh, history and, and tradition there. But what did it mean to you, Coach Davis, to be the head coach of that historic program and your alma mater? Well, I think it's, it was a tremendous honor. I mean, if you go back, and here's another one for you. So it ran off making when I became the head coach. I was only the the coaches had been, at that time, it had been Paul Webb, who um, got the job in 1954 and didn't leave until 74 to go to Old Dominion. Um, Hal Nunley had taken over, taken over that and coached until 1999. Mike Rhodes, who'd been there then for 10 years, and me. So we'd had four coaches in over 50 years. Wow. Um, so there was a lot of tradition, a lot of history. So um, there was a lot of, I mean, there's no way around it. It's, 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 there was a lot of pressure um, to continue to be successful. Now, fortunately, we had like, like here, we had the resources to do so. But you do, you feel a certain, you're, you, there's a certain amount of pride because you're being entrusted Um to, to run this program that's been successful, but there's there's certainly some anxiety and some pressure and that you gotta keep it going. And fortunately we had good players, had great staff and we were able to do that. 
was it almost surreal when you walk out there for the first time as the head coach compared to, you know, as a student assistant or as a player? Yeah, you know, and I think it, it goes anywhere. When you were the head coach, it's a lot different than any other job. Um, and it's one of those things. Coach Long used to say, Coach Long, I'm sorry, Coach Long used to say it all the time until you actually sit in that seat, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> There's just no way around it. And you, just, you just don't. And people want you to describe it. It's kind of hard to describe. But at the end of the day, when you're an assistant or you're a player, players are players are different than the assistants because you're so focused on the game. You must always see the big picture. Um, as an assistant, you, you certainly are closer to being what the head coach is as far as you're seeing the big picture of things like that. But when you're the head coach, at the end of the day, everything happens, uh, good or bad, is going to come back to you, especially the bad. Um, <laughs> It's going to come back to you. So it was certainly a different, a different intensity, a different type of pressure, uh, a different kind of mentality that you you end up dealing with. Well, you dealt with it. You just don't know. You don't know it until you. And it's hard to describe until you've actually been there. Um, and as an assistant, I didn't understand that. Now, having done it, then being able to look back, you you know, oh yeah, it's it's different. <laughs> Oh, it, it certainly it certainly is, and, and you did an outstanding job. You dealt with that pressure in such an unbelievable way. Six seasons, and you you actually built on the tradition there at Randolph Macon. But then the Bucknell job opens up, and you were picked to take over the program. I know it's not your alma mater, um, but it has a tremendous amount of tradition, as you and I have discussed before. What was it about Bucknell and that opportunity that would allow you to leave, you know, a place where you probably didn't think you were ever going to leave um, to take over this program? Well, you know, I was, I was here for five years in an assistant and obviously you, you go pretty fond, grow pretty fond of a place and uh, the people here that you meet in the community and on campus and in the athletic department across the board are really enjoyed our time here. And like I said, just like Randolph Macon, it was it's a place where, the resources are available to allow you to be successful. Um, and as far as coming back, when the opportunity presented itself, it was really a no-brainer. Um, I was very fortunate. I can't thank John Hart and the committee enough for, for giving me this opportunity. Um, but it was really a no-brainer to come back to, to this community, this program, this school, and, uh, and, and try to do the best we can to keep it going. Well, you've definitely done that. I mean, we've talked also about all the success here um, since then, winning year after year regular season Patriot League titles, back-to-back Patriot League tournament victories as well. Um, You have continued this great tradition that really started, you know, you could go Charlie Woolham, you go before Charlie Woolham for certain, but definitely Charlie Woolham on um, to you today. Uh, What about Bucknell's program now? When you take a look at it, is it where you want it to be? How much further do you want this program to grow? Well, I think if you're not trying to grow, you're going to go backwards. And and so I, I, I think that you're always looking way, for ways to improve. Um, I think certainly we're in a good position here with, with what we have, but um, you've got to continue to attract quality student athletes. Um, you, you can't just assume they're going to show up because, again, at the end of the day, we say what you want, but if you don't have good players, you're not going to be successful. Um, and I think one of the great things about Bucknell is it takes more than just being a good player. You've got to be a good person. You've got to be a good student. You've got to be a well-rounded person. So that makes the pool of people you can recruit from even smaller. Because um, if you don't have those things here, you're not going to be successful on the court, obviously. Um, so I think that the the main thing is is to continue to play and, and to improve and attract good student athletes so that we can compete to win the league year in and year out. Um, 
I think one of the interesting things is the league has gotten so much better over the last 20, 30 years. And now if you can win the league year in, year out, you've got a chance to to, to compete and win on a national level in some respects. Um, um, you've seen it with, obviously, with Bucknell and Lehigh. And you take a look at what we did the last t- couple of times we went to the NSA tournament, what Colgate's done, we're, teams are right there with a chance to win those games. And, and you obviously want to advance as far as you can and put yourself in a position to do that. Um, I don't know if that kind of answered your question. I think you're always trying to you're always trying to get better and better and better. So if you're not trying to get better and better and better, you're gonna go the other way. Well, you've coached now at the division three been a head coach at the division three level and the division one level. And and certainly there are differences between those two. And we've kind of highlighted a few of those so far as well. But is coaching coaching? You know, whether it's a high school coach, a college coach, an NBA coach, there are differences. But does it all come down to one kind of common denominator? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I think he said I've never been in the NBA, but I think each each one's different in some respects. But like you said, I think as well, coaching the game is is not that different. The game is the game. No one's no one's reinventing the wheel as far as what people are doing anymore. Um, with uh, when it comes to the way you're playing, there's certain things that that people are going to do and. They might be tweaked or adjusted as a bit personnel, but there's not a lot of invention coming anymore. It's more stealing and tweaking to your coming out. The biggest differences between Division Three and Division One, for instance, obviously since that's what I I can I, I can comment more about because I've been in both is is, is athleticism and access. Um, players are a little bigger, stronger, faster. I'm not sure they're any more skilled, but they're bigger, stronger, faster. Um, and then you have more access to them with workouts in the off season and time on the court and, and, and breaks and things like that. You're just able to you're actually able to coach them more in division one than in division three. Um, I think that it's similar. You go to the NBA you can actually coach them more <laughs> and that you have more access because that's their job, you know, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but the actual like coaching, the X's and O's, the dealing with people, the relationships, none of that, that's all the same. That's Another thing I would say that the, one of the bigger differences between, uh, like I mentioned, Division Three to Division One is in Division Three. I mentioned earlier, it's usually the head coach and an assistant, and that's it. Now you get to Division One, and you have a head coach. You have several assistants. Most schools have an operations guy. We don't have here. Some got video guys and special assistants, and so you've got to manage more people in their jobs than you do in the Division Three. So that's that's actually a big difference. That's a great breakdown of all of this here, Coach. Uh, now, let's talk a little bit about your personal life. You and your wife, Mickey, have four kids, Kieran and Hayden, twins, Kellen and Brian. Was that also one thing you were looking when you were up for the Bucknell job, being the head coach at Bucknell? Was that one other area that kind of drew you to Bucknell University was raising a family in the Lewisburg area? Uh, yeah, well, we certainly, having been here before, we knew what the type of community was, and, and one of the big things that, that made us really comfortable coming back was knowing how good the school system was. Um, where we were living, our kids went to a great school, and obviously you want them to do well. I know they could come back here, and they could be in a community where um, they were to be safe, but they could also continue to go to a great school system so that as long as they as they do well, they're going to be able to be successful when they graduate too, which was a big deal. Well, here's another thing, too. You know, everybody knows this past spring and summer, there was a lot of attention being paid to really major social issues around this country and really kind of around the world, if you will. What was going through your mind during this period? Um, you know, it was a little bit of tumult, but it was also an opportunity, I'm guessing. 
Well, yeah, I think um, it certainly seemed different and has seemed different this summer than it has in, in this fall and it has in the past. Um, some of these things would flare up and kind of go away, and, and I think good. it's a good thing they have it. Um, it's, let's be honest, this, the stuff we're dealing with now is not new. Um, some of it has been brushed away and not paid attention to. Um, and I think one of the positives to come out of it is that you can't not pay attention to it anymore. Um, we need to start dealing with it. And, and I think that having open conversations, that everyone understands they don't have all the answers, but we need to learn um, to be better in these areas is, is very important. And it's something that we're striving to do with our our team and on our campus and in our community and, and across the country. Um, um, it's it's important that we that we deal with it and, and get better. And I want to be a part of the solution. Are you seeing that there it's starting to look more positive to where there is going to be more attention paid to these issues instead of just like you said, kind of it goes on for a little bit and then it kind of gets pushed to the side? Well, I think that it's trended that way. Um, but let's see where we are in six months, you know. Um, I think certain things are certainly trended that way. And I think that there is a general a uh, overall desire on most people to address these issues um, and to improve our society in these respects. But um, we can't accept that, just assume it's going to happen. Uh, we got to continue to push to, to make the changes we want to see. Very well said. Before I tell you, Coach Davis, and I know we get to talk a lot during this course of a season and stuff, but not in this way. So I really appreciate your time on this. And I'm sure all the Bucknell fans and your family and friends and everybody else maybe get to see a little bit different side of you as well. But before we bid you adieu here today on our podcast interview, your dad, he passed away very recently here. What did he mean to you? How did he shape your life? How did he help you become Nathan Davis, the person you are today? You know, I think that if you'd asked me that question 30 years ago when I was like 13, you probably got a very different answer. I think having been an adult now and being a father, and it, it certainly um, gives you a different perspective. And thinking back on it, I think everything that I that I am or I've become or every opportunity I've had, you can trace back to the way he raised me. He was always available. He was always around. Unconditional love, unconditional support. Um, he was very, very bright, um, very patient, very intelligent, hardworking. I mean, just a generally good person. I think that he's someone you try to, that you do. I mean, I think you talk about your father. I was fortunate; came from a great family, but you're trying to, to live up to their ideals and what they expect, and and he set a high standard. Could you, in essence, say here that if this world would be a much better place if there were a lot more like your dad. Yes, I'm biased, but no doubt. Yeah. Amen. Coach Davis, thank you so very much. I really appreciate your time. And I know this has been a very, very difficult season. We haven't really gotten into some of this stuff because there's still so many question marks out there. So no reason to kind of put that down on tape. Uh, but thank you so very much. Thank you for all you've meant to Bucknell University and to the Lewisburg community up and down the Susquehanna Valley as well. And I look forward to working with you. Hopefully we'll have a season again this year. Go Bison. Thanks, Doug. There's, there's no guarantees, but everything is turning in the right direction. And like everywhere else, there's it's, it's going to be a different season. We all got to adjust and do the best we can.
Yep. Just like those halftime adjustments you all have to make. <laughs> coach Nathan Davis, the head basketball coach for the men's team at Bucknell University, our guest here. Well, I want to thank him for letting us learn more about him. And I also want to invite you to stick around because we're going to have our next episode of the You Heard It Here podcast in just one moment. At Wise Markets, you can buy fresh local produce at a low, low price. With Wise Markets Produce Low, Low Prices Program, you can save even more money on your favorite fruits and vegetables such as bananas, grapes, and apples. We've been busy lowering the prices throughout our produce department as well as bringing in higher quality produce in bigger sizes and juicier flavors. We purchase from local farmers to provide customers with the freshest produce. Eat better, spend less, that's Wise. Our next segment of the You Heard It Here podcast is our student-athlete spotlight. Today, we welcome men's basketball sophomore, Xander Rice, joining us now. Thanks so much for joining us, Xander. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Well, to say the least, you did grow up in a basketball household. I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> Was yeah. it almost a foregone conclusion then that you would end up playing hoops? Well, I mean, it's just been interesting to see because I have a little brother who's um he's eight years old. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure the process of him growing up, um, my I've been able to see just since he was born, my dad put in little basketballs in his crib, little footballs in his crib, baseballs, everything. So, I mean, it, it it's not really forced, but like it's it's assumed that you know we're we're some we're athletes in this family and sports is really a gateway to great other things so I mean as long as he it's making us happy he really he really encouraged it but it wasn't ever forced but it was definitely encouraged which which I mean um, I, I can't be more thankful that it was yeah exactly because if it were forced on you you might resent it you might not really want to continue to play whatever sport right mm-hmm. exactly yep no it definitely felt like a choice the whole time but I'm happy he he encouraged it and made, and helped me stick with it for sure. Well, what was it like growing up with a father? Many of the folks I'm sure know about your dad, King Rice. Um, he was not only a great player, but he also, of course, has coached basketball. Did that help in some ways? You know, he didn't force things on you, but in some ways, did it help? I mean, it definitely helped. Um, on the obvious part of it, just with just skills and things like that, just helping me with little teaching points here and there, just on in the ins and outs of the game, just skill wise. But um, the thing that it's really helped me with is the more uh, emotional part of basketball, just because he's been through it before and he's been helping kids through it. My, my age that have the same goals as me through it um, for like 20 years for however long he's been coaching for. So, I mean, the emotional side of it is the part that I'm most thankful for just because, I mean, being a student athlete, it's, it's just a lot. So, I mean, he's really given me a lot of great advice on just staying level-headed, staying grounded, whether it's going great or not going so great, staying consistent. Um, just advice like that has really, has really been what I've been most thankful for, for him being a coach and, and a player. So that I'm really thankful for that. 
Well, the question has to arise. Did you play any other sports besides basketball growing up? I know you mentioned about your uh, brother, your younger brother, and how he, when he was a baby, maybe having footballs, basketballs, et cetera, around him and stuff. Um, your mom, of course, was a great volleyball player, played in college at the University of North Carolina. Did you ever try your hand at volleyball or any other sport? Um, I mean, volleyball... I I try I I didn't ever really play in a league, but it was just fun, you know, outside, um, hitting the ball back and forth with my mom. That was definitely fun, but I, I don't know. It just wasn't really ever ever for me. It was fun for the time being, but it just wasn't. Couldn't really see myself doing it. And then um, I never really played. I never really could get into football. Um, that was it was a little too much hitting. I didn't really like that <laughs> that, that that hitting stuff. Basketball was the perfect amount of physicality. Um, I play. I, I think I played like soccer for two years, but for the most part, it's just been, been all hoops since I can remember. Since I was born, pretty much. I mean, I tried out a few other things, but I just it just never really. I never really had the same love for stuff that, that I had for basketball. I mean, this seems like a, a an obvious question, and there may be an obvious answer. But why is it you feel like you drew your drew kind of to the game of basketball, and why you enjoyed it so much? I mean, I, I honestly, I honestly couldn't even tell you. It's just like the feeling you get when you're playing, and just like it's the perfect amount of physical. It's the per- perfect amount of um of like a team sport and you need leadership and stuff like that. And I, I don't know, just seeing, just being growing up around my dad's players. Um, I just thought they were like the coolest guys ever. Um, so I, I've, I've always really just ever since I've been playing, I've just loved it so much. I, I can't even really explain it. It's just like the, the fun that I have when I'm, when I'm out there playing and practicing and stuff. Um, it's just it's just a different type of feeling I can't even explain. Well, the question is, of course, that your dad is the head coach at Monmouth. Did you get to sit on the bench while your dad was coaching, or were you normally in the stands? What was your role? Um, when when they had home games, I, I didn't usually ever sit on the bench. I usually sat with my mom and my little brother, um, and watched the game with them really close up. But then when I would travel with them to away games, especially when I was a little younger, before I had like high school basketball and stuff, um, they they would let me sit on the bench. It would usually kind of be be a struggle. My dad would have to get in some arguments over getting me a a, a guest badge. Um, but I mean, it was it was awesome sitting on the bench on the away games, especially like the one that I can really remember, probably the the craziest one. Well, it's actually two of them was one when the whole Monmouth bench thing was going on um, when they were in Florida beating all those high major teams. Um, I was on the bench, you know, seeing that firsthand, seeing like a sports center, like story unraveling in front of my eyes. That was pretty awesome. Um, And then the second, the second one that always sticks with me was Virginia just because it was when they had Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, all those guys that I like. I, re- I really like looked up to um I got to see them up close you know shake their hands after the game meet them after the game so I mean it was a it was an awesome experience it just helped me understand like what college basketball was like up close and personal before I even got there just the intensity and the huddles how hard guys were going so 
I mean, it was it was a pretty awesome experience for a young kid, for sure. Well, you mentioned about that that just unbelievably marvelous year there, and and Bucknell actually played against Monmouth in the 2016 NIT game. We'll ask you about that in a second, but that year was just you mentioned all of the the antics on the bench, um, plus the just the great play, the great non conference wins. The, the the Hawks ended up losing in the um, tournament championship game for the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. What was going through your mind at that time? I'm sure you, your dad, everybody was kind of heartbroken, weren't you? Well, yeah, no, it definitely hurt because those, well, it, it took a little bit of the pain away because we, I think we only had one senior on that team. So everyone, everyone's mindset was just, we got one more year to do this thing. So it didn't end how we wanted it this year. Um, so, I mean, the mood was, was pretty sad because just, like, all the hard work they put in and how, like, close and great of a team that was. But, I mean, the attitude was really, like, it's time to get back in the gym. We're about to work how we've never worked before. Um, I mean, that was honestly inspiring, guys, that I looked up to, seeing them face adversity, seeing them fail, and – how, how they reacted to it, just like that's probably the hardest I've ever seen a team work. Honestly, it was, it was, it was something like I've never seen before, just how determined they were, for sure. It was, it was like inspiring. Well, and of course, Monmouth was right on the bubble. I mean, many people, me included, felt like they should have been into the NCAA tournament. I'm guessing you were there when the team, I, I guess the team, I can't recall, but the team probably was gathered together to watch. What was the mindset for you, your dad, you know, the players, all the people associated with the program when the NCAA um, at-large bid didn't happen? Um, I mean, they were pretty upset because, honestly, they had the the non-conference resume. However, whatever, like, credentials that goes into that, I remember they had pretty much, like, all of them. They had better ones than, like, all the high major schools pretty much. So they were really disappointed. Um just because like they 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 did everything they could besides win the the final championship but they were just they were okay we're not in this one but we're definitely going to be in the NIT so we got to be ready for that um but yeah it was definitely it was definitely a disappointing feeling but like i said guys were just ready for whatever was going to be thrown at them that's how that team was they were just so tough mentally tough they were just ready to play whoever at that point that's great. That's the attitude you want, of course. I'm sure your dad wanted as well from the, the players on that team. So then you do get a number one seed in the National Invitation Tournament. You get to host a game, and lo and behold, it's against Bucknell. So uh, do you remember much about that game? Monmouth ended up uh, winning that contest against the Bison. Um, I, I remember it being really packed. I don't really remember that game against Bucknell that much. Um. The game that I really remember against Bucknell that Monmouth had was, um, I think it was my, it was, yeah, it was on Jimmy and then we're a freshman. So, and I think it was Nana, Zach, and Steve's senior year. Um, That game was super packed out and everyone was like anxious to see how we would be with graduating all those guys. Um, And I mean, going up against that Bucknell team, like they were already like, super recognized and stuff so I remember that game was super packed just because everyone in the city wanted to see like what this new Monmouth team was going to be like so 
I remember that game was pretty crazy, and it like went down to the wire. So that that was a good game for sure. And that Monmouth team beat Bucknell that year too. Yeah, I know it was crazy though because we that was probably our best game of the season, and then our best player got hurt, and then it just kind of all went downhill from there. But yeah, I, I I was really surprised we beat Bucknell that game, honestly. <laughs> well, now we talked about this before about your dad being a great player at the University of North Carolina. Have you had an opportunity to watch any of your dad's games? Does does your dad ever say, "Hey, come on, let me show you how good I was at my day and age"? <laughs> I mean, my dad's a really humble dude, so I mean, he he never he definitely has never said anything like like that. But I mean, I definitely have done like some research here and there just because it's it, it's honestly just a re- really cool just that he played at that high of a level um so I mean there's not he's a he's a little bit of an old timer I give him a hard time so like there's not too much film of 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 his games back then but um I've seen some highlights and stuff so he was definitely he was definitely really good for sure do you know if maybe your mom or somebody else that has seen your dad play, um, if they compare you to your dad in this style, not that you necessarily try and play like your dad, but just, you know, genetics, just some things just kind of get handed down unbeknownst to people. Do you, have you had people come up to you, Xander, and say, hey, you know, you your game kind of reminds me of your dad's in any way? Um, I mean, definitely this year, um, it, it could it could compare a little or the last year could com- my freshman year could compare a little bit um just like cuz he kind of had the same role maybe a little bit less of a role his freshman year just coming off the bench um get, don't having to change from kind of that scorer role in high school um where he was the best player like dominant ball handler and score all the points i i kind of had the same high school experience um, to coming into college and playing with um, a lot of good other guys that can also play. Um, and that role changing from scoring all the points to scoring some points when you're open, but getting all those guys shots, um, running the team, running the offense, um, having that role, he, he, me, the talks we had, um, he, he really helped me out with that, just accepting the role I had and, um, being a point guard and getting guys shots. So I feel like last year it definitely compared our freshman years compared a little bit, but I mean, he, he always like tells me like, cause he, he was a pass first guy in college. He always tells me that he had enough assists for him and my brother to never have to pass again. So, I mean, that's <laughs> kind of a little, <laughs> he, 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 he gives you the green light to shoot. He gives you the yeah. green light to score. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, he he gives me, he, he, we kind of joke around about that. Um, so yeah, we're we're a little bit different. I'm 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 a lot like I'm probably like four inches taller than him, and he's kind of I'm more like lanky. He's he was kind of just like short, stocky guy, super like strong guy. Um, so I mean, we're 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 pretty different guys. Like, but I mean, last year our 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 experiences compared a little bit. Well, now, when you first started playing in high school, you played at that great St. Anthony's program there in New Jersey. What was it like playing for that legendary head coach, Bob Hurley? Uh, honestly, like, I can't even I can't even begin to fathom how, like, 
amazing of like not even just a basketball experience but how amazing of a life experience that was I mean like coach Hurley I can't even like I, I can't even explain how like what what he did for me how amazing of a of a coach and mentor he was like just from a basketball standpoint like the the jumps that my game took that one year that I played on varsity like I I can't even explain like it was just just like some of the little stuff he would tell you just like do oh no you're doing that wrong do it this way like you would think like it would just be a little thing but then you get in the game and it's like you get like three baskets off like a simple cut that he taught you stuff like that and then like just like life lessons I was only a sophomore in high school but he taught me so much just from a toughness standpoint from like a respect standpoint like looking someone in their eyes like being a respectful man like all that stuff respecting women respecting your elders um I I just grew so much as a person so much as a basketball player it was like it, it was something I would never trade for anything it was it was a crazy two years that I spent there it was it was amazing then, of course, the unthinkable happens. After two years, uh, you were working with Coach Hurley and those guys on that team and everybody associated with St. Anthony's. They closed the doors to the school building. Did you get any kind of information like, hey, this could be happening? And and once that the unthinkable did happen, how difficult was that for you and all the other, your other teammates? Um, well, I mean – we knew we well every year it was a struggle with St. Anthony's like them talking about us closing the archdiocese closing us down um but this year it felt like the the realest it could be honestly so it was crazy we had like a whole um showtime sports like crew following us around the whole the whole year um making a documentary about the school and the basketball team so I mean, I think that kind of gave us a little bit a sense of false hope, thinking that, like, oh, we're we're having this big time documentary, like, no way our school's gonna close. We have all these people donating to us, but I guess just all that built up debt and people not um, applying, enrolling in the school, like, I guess that just kind of ended up catching up to, to the school. But yeah, once when when we found out it closed, like we were in open gym cause all our, all our older guys graduated and I was going to be kind of like the team captain type guy. Um, so all the younger JV guys and the guys in my grade, um, came up for actually our first workout. We went over to the gym and we were having our first like pickup, um, workouts and coach Hurley wasn't there. And it was, um, coach Tom was running it. He was the assistant and, he, he stopped open gym. He was like, all right, everyone sit down. And we were hoping for good news. And he sat everybody down and just like said that the school is going to close down next year. Like, I'm so sorry that this happened, this happening, but like trust, like that we're going to make sure everyone gets um, to the right school, right college gets recruited the right way. Like this isn't the, it like it's the end of the school St. Anthony's, but like it's not going to be the end of this family and stuff. And it was just like emotional. Like there was always like ex players and older guys in the community in the gym, like 
they were like crying like everyone was crying like it was it was crazy like we all knew we were going to be okay like and they were going to look out for us and make sure we were going to be okay but it was it was crazy because some of those kids like like I knew I was going to be okay just because like like I was like finance we were financially stable and like things like that but like some of those kids like this was all they had going for them like they were from the inner city jersey city so like they it hit them harder just because like basketball was really all they had going for them so man it it was really tough it was a tough a tough day and a tough couple weeks for sure like emotions were all over the place so it was it was definitely really hard did that make you kind of grow up a little sooner than what a normal person your age would have had to deal with and, and grow up, I guess, Xander. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, honestly, that, though, that whole, those whole two years, like made me grow up fast just cause I, I was like taking, a it, my commute was like two hours each way getting up there on the train, on the subway. Um, so, I mean, that experience really made me grow up quick. And being a sophomore on varsity made me grow up quick. Um, being in new environments and then getting hit with news like that, having to face adversity like that. I mean, I feel like I took it, that all those experiences that I had in those two years um, helped me deal with that adversity even better. I, I was, I mean, I was, I was mature enough to handle it. I wasn't. When I was going into St. Anthony's, I definitely wouldn't have been mature enough to handle it. But those two years really helped me mature enough to be able to take that news. Wow, that's really neat. Are, are you still friends with some of those teammates from that that time? Yeah, those guys are like some of my best friends, even though they live really far away from me. They're, I, I still keep up with them. They come down to my house to the beach in the summer. Um, I'm still I'm still really close with all those guys that I went to school with for sure. How did it work out for them? I mean, you mentioned that, you know, uh, the coaching staff, Coach Hurley and all the guys helped everybody find a place. You found a place. But what about some of those who, as you just mentioned, for them, that was almost their life? Well, yeah, it was it was interesting to see um, all the seniors they signed to D1 colleges and stuff. And then the younger guys were already pretty set with their recruiting, the junior going into senior guys. So they all ended up signing. but. Um, the the guys in my grade like a lot of them ended up going like to more like smaller like D2 schools I don't I don't think anyone else in my class went to a division 1 school but they um coach Hurley and the coaching staff and the front office they helped um get everyone into schools whether it was just like they didn't let anyone like fall through the cracks like they didn't let anyone like just say like this happened to me I'm not going to school even the regular students who had some other problems they were facing like they made sure they got them scholarships and stuff to go to private schools they didn't just drop them into the public schooling in Jersey City that wasn't too good so they really they really made sure everyone was everyone was all set even the regular students everyone everyone was all set and taken care of 
It sounds to me, just the way you're describing this, Sander, that one of the main reasons St. Anthony's had such a great tradition, obviously Coach Hurley and his assistants and the players, I mean, they had great players, but it sounds to me as if it was a family atmosphere there because, as you said, when you guys got the news, there were former high school players from St. Anthony's in the gym at the same time, and they were distraught. They were crying. So it almost was like a family, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I, and the former players, like when I'm talking former players, I'm talking like they're they're like grown men, like 40 and 50 years old. Because um, St. Anthony's had Coach Hurley had been there for 50 years before, so I mean, yeah, it was definitely. And the school itself probably was only like 180 kids, maybe like not very much. So everyone knew everyone. Um, everyone was cool with each other senior some seniors had class with some freshmen like all the teachers everyone was cool with like everyone was super close-knit um and it was honestly all because of coach Hurley and like even if some um students like didn't have as close of a relationship with coach Hurley like they could always feel I mean sometimes it would be a little scary stepping into that office but that it his doors were always open um to go in there and just it, yeah, it was definitely everyone ate lunch together. I mean, the JV would pre- would watch the varsity, varsity would watch JV sometimes. Like it was, it was just everyone was super close. Everyone knew everyone. There was no hate towards anyone. Like regular students were cool with everyone. Like it, yeah, it was something like I've never experienced before. The the closeness of the community, like people coming back, you felt like you've known them your whole life. Like, um. Yeah, it was just like, it was super, I think another part of it was just like the respect element of it, like the older guys, when they would come back, like, yeah, like, I respect you, you respect me, you're going through this, you're, like, it's not, it's not an easy experience, it's it's worth it, but it's definitely not easy, so I mean, we all respected each other for, because we had some of the same struggles, and it, it brought us really close together. Well, and that wasn't the only change. I mean, then you, I think you played for a couple of different high schools after your sophomore year. So did that experience help you? I mean, because you were going to be kind of the big fish. I mean, going to be a captain, et cetera, for your junior and most likely your senior year there at St. Anthony's. But then you had to go to Mater D, I guess, Mater D prep. And then the Patrick school, I mean, was it tough? And in some ways, did you have to start over at both of those uh, places? I mean, honestly, the year, the year in modern day, I don't really talk about it a lot. It was, it it was just a really tough year. Um, I'll leave it at that. Like it, it was just not, not a good situation for me and my family at all. Like I just, I just wasn't very happy there for that whole year. Um, I like, I, my intentions weren't to transfer to the Patrick school at first, but I, I really, it kind of like left me with no choice type thing. That, that's all I'll really say about that. It just wasn't a great year. Um, so that was really tough. It was, it was really, really hard. Um, I struggled with it a lot, like for a while, like after that, um, I really struggled with some stuff because of that year. And then, but when I went to the Patrick school, it was, um, another great basketball tradition, probably the other best school in New Jersey for basketball tradition wise. So, and there were a lot of like high level kids on that team and in that school. So, I mean, it felt more like home. Um, it, it definitely, that, that transition was, 
was a lot easier. I was a lot more ready for that transition. It felt a lot more like St. Anthony's for sure, which which helped me out a lot and made my senior year like a, a lot more enjoyable. So you fit in with that team pretty well then. Yeah, for sure. I really, I really like that team a lot. I'm still really close with a lot of those guys. Now, uh, let's fast forward a little bit, and you're being recruited by a bunch of different schools. One of them, obviously, Bucknell University. Uh, you knew about Bucknell, as we had already discussed. So when they started recruiting you, um, you knew something about the program already, but was, were there certain things that you felt like, hey, this is a pretty good program. I wouldn't mind taking an extra look at this and, and ultimately signing on the dotted line, as they say, to play basketball at Bucknell. Um, well, the first time I heard from Bucknell, it was right after the first session of AAU and I had played really well. So, I mean, I was hearing from schools kind of varying in size from different like high up conferences to mid conferences. Um, so, I mean, when when I heard from Bucknell, I, I wasn't really sure. I knew it was a good academic school. Um, I didn't really I don't think I really understand understood how like rich of a tradition it was because I, I had never really like heard too much about it besides Monmouth played them and it was a good school. Um so, I mean, I, I I really enjoyed my talk with Coach Griffin. That's who called me first. But, I mean, a, a, so many other schools were calling. I wasn't really sure. But then my dad asked me. He, he was like, Mom, said you were on the phone for a while with a coach today. Who was it? I was like, oh, it was um, Coach Griffin from Bucknell. And my dad, like, got super excited. And I could just tell by his excitement, like, it, it was a bigger deal than I was making it out to be. So, from, from then on, we, we, we talked about it. Um, just like, bro, like he told me like, Zan, like they don't, they don't just like talk, like call everybody. Like it's not one of those schools that just like recruits everyone, offers everyone, like they really have to like you. Um, and it's a big deal to, to get recruited by there. So, I mean, even if it might be a mid-major school, um, you should definitely like keep them in mind. Um, especially cause he wasn't, he knew coach Davis, but he wasn't like, he had a, like a really, really close relationship with Coach Griffin. So, I mean, he like he, – he definitely told me to keep them in mind no matter who was calling, no matter what level, just to to make sure to, to give them a shot. That is so neat. It's so neat hearing you say that, Xander, because, you know, even someone who has been around the program, as I have for 20-plus years, sometimes you don't understand that. But your dad, Coach Rice, who coached at Monmouth and is still coaching there, of course – you know, he knew about Bucknell's program maybe more than what someone your age would know, correct? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, he knew a lot about it, for sure. He knew a lot about the tradition. Well, uh, once you did get through the recruiting process, what was it that kind of helped you make that decision? Because I'm sure your dad would have loved to have had you play for him at Monmouth. Um, well, I think I think my unofficial... Well, Griff did a great job recruiting me. I, lo- I love Coach Griffin. Um, and he, he got me up for an unofficial. And I had just went to Yale the week before, the weekend before for an unofficial. And, I mean, it's crazy to say that I, I like, I didn't like Yale, but, like, like just for how good of a school that is. But, like, I just, I just didn't like it. I couldn't really see myself there. And then I went to Buck, and then I was driving to Bucknell, and I was like, wow, like, I don't know, Dad. Like, all I see is like farms and stuff. Like, I don't, 
I, I don't know if I'm be able to do this. Like, I like being like in the action. Like I don't know if I. But then once we got on campus and stuff, um, I, I met with Coach Davis. They offered me, and like literally when we were in in his office, and he offered me, my dad started like he like gave me a hug. So I knew I understood it was like, yeah, again, it was a big deal for us. So, I mean, from then on, and then the the moment I knew I kind of came was gonna come to Bucknell. Um, it was honestly on my visit. Um, we were out to we were out to dinner. It was the second night of my visit. It was the last night of my visit, and we were out to dinner, and we were at this Italian restaurant. And um, I I don't know. I don't even know. Like, it was something Coach Griffin had said. Like, the the weekend had already been going great. I had played pickup with the guys already, and I mean something Coach Griffin had said. Like, just about. I think it was something about like how they how the players developed and like how how much they like cared about player development and stuff. Um and I literally like said like can I go to the bathroom cuz my dad wasn't on the visit with me it was my mom my little brother. I said can I go to the bathroom and I went in the bathroom and called my dad and told him like like I think this is where I, I want to go. Um and it was just like after my official visit, I knew I knew that that that's where I wanted to be at. This is where I wanted to be at. That is so neat. Well, did you have a chance to speak with Nate Jones much? Because Nate was in some ways in a similar position. His dad, the head coach at Radford. Your dad, the head coach at Monmouth. And and again, I, I'm sure Coach Rice, your dad, would have liked you to have played at Monmouth. Um, and the same Coach Jones would have liked his son Nate to play for him at Radford. But was it just too good to pass up? Um, I mean, I mean, I I didn't. Mom, I considered Monmouth for a point, but I I don't know. Me and my dad talked about it a lot, and it would have just been a lot of pressure to have my dad as a coach. Um, I mean, I, we we talked. The main thing we talked about, I I wanted my dad to be my dad and not have to, you know, just be my coach. So, I mean, it would have been cool. It some of it would have been really cool to play for him, but. I feel like just for our relationship as a family, like it would have just been better for him to stay my dad and not stay just my dad and not my coach. I feel that's what we decided on. That's a neat way of looking at it for sure, Xander. Well, okay. So now you're recruited. You, you do decide to come to Bucknell for your academics as well as your athletic side. What were your expectations when you arrived onto campus and for last year, your first year with the Bison basketball program? Um, well, for academics first, I I was I was a little bit nervous just because like I, I don't I, I didn't go to traditional public school background, so school was a little different. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect coming in school wise. I had heard all these stories just about college being so hard. Um, but I mean, don't get me wrong. It co- my first year of school was pretty hard, but I mean, it was it was also at the same time pretty reasonable. Um, the resources that are needed to to succeed I had a, I had a really great year in school and I did really well so I mean I I like the school aspect of it a lot and then um basketball wise I mean I had really high hopes I, I I had a really a pretty like up and down high school career but a good high school career um so I mean I had really high hopes I knew I wanted to come in and and make an impact right away which I mean maybe the impact I I had wasn't as as large as I wanted it to be, but I, I mean, I can't really complain. I played in every game and played consistent minutes through every game. So 
I mean, maybe I didn't live, I, I hold myself to a pretty high standard. So maybe I didn't live up to my own personal standard, but I feel like, I feel like looking back at my freshman year, I, I handled it. I handled the adversity of it, the, the struggle of it pretty well. Oh, I, I think there's no doubt you definitely did that. I kind of thought just from an outsider's perspective that you fit in immediately with the team. Did you get that impression? Um, yeah, on and off the court, I feel like I, I fit in really well. Um, the guy, like just the guys, the the guys off the court, just are like funny, joking guys, all like hanging out, all interested in the same stuff that I'm interested in. Um, so personality wise, we, I fit in really well with everyone. And then basketball wise, like, I I feel like everyone wanted to win. Everyone had the same goals. Everyone was a hard worker. Um, so I feel like there was no no fall off or let off when I got here um, in that aspect. And, of course, your other fellow first-year players there, Malachi, Jake, Big Big Tim, as we call him, Alex. Uh, you all really got along well together, didn't you? Yeah, those, those are my best friends. Right now we live literally in, in single dorms, literally, like, Big Tim is right next to me, Malachi's across from me, and Jake is diagonal from me. Um, we went, we visited each other in the summer. Like it was, yeah, those are the, we're, we're super close. We always go to the gym together. We're, we're, we're about to go lift in a little bit. Um, all, all to get all of us together. So, I mean, yeah, those, those are my boys. We're all super close for sure. <laughs> well, you mentioned you played in every game last year. What do you feel like you learned that first season in, in division one college basketball? Um, I mean, the main lesson I I could have taken from last year was was you know stay confident. Um, sometimes I would get in and just like not really really trust myself, um, as much as I feel like I should have looking back on it. So, I mean, just being confident. I've like I'm I, I work really hard. I I put a lot of hours into the gym into basketball. So, I feel like I I I deserve to be confident in myself and my abilities. So. I feel like the main lesson I, I could take is definitely just continuing to be confident no matter if you're missing shots, making shots, you turn the ball over, whatever, whatever, however it's going, um, just continuing to stay confident. Amen. That's a great attitude to take. Of course, not long after the season ended last year, Xander, Jimmy Sotos announced that he was going to transfer to Ohio State. Number one, how shocked were you that after just one year, you were immediately became the heir apparent at the point guard slot. And then number two, um, what was going through your mind when Jimmy decided to transfer? Uh, you know, that put a lot of pressure, I guess, from an out per, an outside perspective. Um, that may have put a lot of pressure on you. Did you feel that way? Um, well, I mean, I don't I don't really I didn't really want to think of it that way when Jimmy um decided to transfer. I I was I was ready to to take a big step my sophomore year, whether whether he stayed or not, and and be that point guard and maybe move him off the ball or him move me off the ball. I I wanted I, regardless of if he stayed or not, I was I was ready to take that step, um and kind of take the reins. Um, but I mean, what at the same time when he transferred, it it was it was definitely like really sad. Um, I was I was pretty sad about it. That's one of my best friends. Um. But from a basketball standpoint, it's it's just the next man up man mentality. Um, Jimmy's obviously is is a really good player and stuff. But 
I mean, I, I feel like I am too. So I, 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 I'm just ready to take that step up, step up. I don't feel the, feel the pressure. Honestly, I just feel like I've put in a lot of hours. This summer was a big summer for me working out and stuff. And I've just put in like countless hours. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take that step. I, I feel like there's not, not really any pressure there. I'm ready. I'm ready to take o- take over the steps. That's a great attitude. Superb attitude. Now I know this year has been tough on everyone. Um, everyone on the college campus there at Bucknell, and probably everyone on college campuses across the country. How has it affected you personally on the court and off during this battle with this virus and so forth? Um, I feel like just the uncertainty of it all has just been. It's been really hard on everyone, and I mean it, it's it's honestly helped me not complain because I mean, I'm, I'm a lot better off and more fortunate than some others even. So, I mean, I try, I try to not complain about it too much, just even though it's hard, I, it's, it's hard for everyone. It's hard for my parents. It's hard for my grandparents. It's hard for all my friends. It's hard for everyone. So, I mean, I, I've tried not, not to complain too much about it and just kind of handle it however best I can. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been hard on everyone just with the school aspect, just not knowing what's going to happen next with basketball. Well, and speaking of which, as of right now, uh, the Patriot League will be starting January 2nd, playing only league games. Do you think that's going to be difficult to not have a non-league schedule to kind of get yourself, you and your teammates ready for league play, which typically is so much more physical and, and so much more you know intense? Um, it's definitely going to be different. Um, but I feel like we, we have a lot of great guys on our team and, and practices that have been super competitive and physical and going at it. So, I mean, it'll definitely be different, but I mean, everyone's facing that same struggle. So I feel like, I feel like it'll be a pretty even playing field and we'll, we'll be ready for it. We have a group, really tough group of guys. So I think we'll be ready. Well, before we let you go here, Xander, and again, appreciate all your time on this. Where would you like to see one or two areas in your game improve as this season goes along? Um, well, last year, I feel like I did a great job facilitating. Um, but I want to take that to the next level even and just bring that facilitating to just being a completely dominant um, force at the point guard, just like making sure running the offense, getting us a good shot every trip down the court. Um, I mean, like I, I shied away from that a little bit last year. Um, if, if it wasn't going well when I was in there, maybe I need to just go get the ball and make sure we get a good shot, get a post touch or something like that. Um, I feel like stepping up in that category leadership wise, just um, controlling everything, running the show, um, being just just things from the leadership standpoint. Um, and then also... I want to score the ball more this year. Um, I feel like I was tentative last year, hesitant, but in practice right now, I feel like my shot feels great. I've been making shots. I've been getting to the basket, finishing, having a good mid-range game. Um, so I feel like this year I, I'm I'm capable of scoring a lot more, like a lot more. Um, so, the, yeah, those are definitely the two things, being more consistent leader, leadership-wise at the point guard spot. But, and facilitating, but also um, putting the ball in the basket a lot more. 
Awesome. Well, I know, Xander, you're going to do both of those things and many other things, too. I know that uh, we're all very high on your game as well as the rest of the guys on the team this year. And again, I can't thank you enough so, for so much of your time here today. I wish you all the best, and hopefully we'll have a season this year that everybody will remember for the good things. Yes, sir. Exactly. All right. That wraps up our student athlete spotlight with Xander Rice on the men's basketball team. Uh, Stay tuned, though. We're going to have our next You Heard It Here podcast segment coming up in just one moment. At Wise Markets, you can buy fresh local produce at a low, low price. With Wise Markets Produce Low, Low Prices program, you can save even more money on your favorite fruits and vegetables, such as bananas, grapes, and apples. We've been busy lowering the prices throughout our produce department, as well as bringing in higher quality produce in bigger sizes and juicier flavors. We purchase from local farmers to provide customers with the freshest produce. Eat better, spend less, that's wise. We're moving on to the next segment of our podcast, and for this one, we get to speak to someone who made his mark on the Bucknell campus and is also a member of the Bucknell Athletics Hall of Fame. I think everybody knows this person, uh, certainly the name. We're going to find out a lot more about him here in the next little bit. He is the Bison's all-time second-leading men's basketball scorer. He is the great Al Leslie. Al Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It is a tremendous thrill to be able to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Doug, and thank you for that uh, awesome introduction. You are welcome, and and believe me, you're worth every bit of it. Let me tell you, I know you and I have had a chance to meet face-to-face. Unfortunately, because of our social distancing age right now, we're doing it from a distance. But let's kind of get right into it. You're known, obviously, for basketball. But did you play other sports while growing up, maybe at the McDonough School or, or, you know, even before that? Well, well, Doug, in my neighborhood, uh, you know, we played the big three. We played football, baseball, and basketball pretty much every day. Um, at, at McDonough, I gave them all a try. I played uh, JV baseball my freshman year, broke my leg. I played uh, fresh off football my freshman year, injured my back. Um, and so I thought the safest place and the most comfortable place, you know, playing, playing football in Baltimore in the wintertime is no easy task. And I'm not an outdoors person. So uh, I did run track in high school. I actually long jump, high jump, triple jump, uh, and ran in a few of the relays. Uh, track and field was, was a, was a, uh, it was a pleasant surprise for me. Plus it gave me an opportunity to kind of stay in shape during the off season. But basketball is really where my heart was. Not only your heart, but obviously you were outstanding at it. You know, you earned, I know, a lot of interest because of how well you played. One of those schools that came calling was Bucknell. Um, when they came to enter, talk with you and, and look at recruiting you, were you at all familiar with Bucknell? Um, or did you even know where it was located? I was. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of interesting. My history teacher um, at McDonald was Marty McKibben. Martin McKibben is a Hall of Famer at Bucknell. He played uh, baseball, football, and basketball, and I believe he even played tennis uh, at Bucknell. So he's a Hall of Famer, and he was kind of nudging me 
to try Bucknell, um, but I hadn't heard of it. I didn't know anything about Bucknell. Um, I, I had received some interest from numerous uh, Division II schools. Um, and I happened to play in an all-star game, and, and Coach Woolen was there actually to see someone else play. Uh, and I and I had a pretty good, I had a pretty good game, and uh, Coach Willem started showing some interest in me, and because uh, Mr. McKibben was pushing me toward Bucknell anyway, um, and, and you know the lore of Division One was really what I was seeking. Dartmouth showed me some some interest, uh, but other than that, I was I was looking at schools like uh, Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, you know, High Point, North Carolina, uh, in, in Virginia Wesleyan, you know, schools that I hadn't heard of, but uh, I, I just wanted to play basketball. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to go somewhere and play basketball. And it turns out that um, Coach Woolham felt like I would be a good fit uh, in his program as a two or three and so the rest is history. Once I saw the school, you know, I went to McDonald High School, and and Bucknell is just a, a, a larger version of McDonough. So I, I once I saw the campus and, and, and got a feel for um, the the campus life, I was sold. <laughs> well, now what about Coach Woolham? Did you uh, hit it off with him? Pretty quickly, you know. Coach Woolham is a guy that you you, you have to love him. You know, um, he's that down south guy. Um, always has a pleasant word. Um, you know, my mother and my grandmother fell in love with him immediately when he came for my home visit. Um, he said all the right things. You know, he didn't really have to say anything. I knew that Bucknell was an academic school first. Um, and so that's what we were looking for because we understood that the education was going to be the most important part of this process. So um, having an opportunity to play Division One basketball and attend a school such as Bucknell, you know, it, it wasn't a whole lot of selling that had to be done. But Coach Woolham assured my parents that um, I would be well taken care of at Bucknell. Well, now, when you chose to go to Bucknell, uh, one of the factors may well have been that it wasn't particularly too far from the Baltimore area, just about two and a half, almost maybe not quite three hours. Did that play a factor as well, Al? Well, not really. You know, I, I would have gone anyway. You know, um, I was I was looking for an opportunity to, to make my mark. Um, it just so happens to be Bucknell. And it was, you know, when I, when I initially found out, I didn't know how close it was. I just knew that it was in Pennsylvania. Uh, Mr. McKibben had nothing but, but but good things to say about the school and the program. Uh, in, in two and a half hours, two hours, two and a half hours is convenient. Um, you know, my brother, my older brother made every home game. So it, 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 wow. it played a factor, but I think after the fact. Of course, you did grow up in Maryland, and the Bison, I think the first three of your four years played against the University of Maryland. Um, did you kind of enjoy those matchups? Well, um, absolutely. You know, um, I 
think I had kind of a chip on my shoulder because I didn't get any interest from from the bigger schools, especially the schools in my area. Um, it, it's it's kind of hard to believe that I come from a city where there's a, a University of Maryland, Baltimore County, there's a Morgan State, there's a Coppin, there's Towson, there's Maryland, uh, and none of those schools show any interest in, in Al Leslie. You know, um, Ernie Graham, who played for the for the Turpins, has been my rival since we were 13 years old. So, uh, not so much Maryland as Ernie. You know, and Albert King was another guy. I played against him when I was 14 years old. He was supposed to be one of the best players in the country. And so having the opportunity to come home uh, and play against those guys and, 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 and play, you know, my freshman year, I didn't do real well. I think I scored one point. I made one foul shot. Uh, but my sophomore and junior year, I played pretty well against those guys. And I think... I think um, I think I left Lefty Giselle scratching his head a little bit. Like, where did this guy come from? Where was he at? You know. Uh, but it, it, it's always good to come home and play. And, and uh, Maryland actually was the only school that I had an opportunity to come back in the area and play against. So when Bucknell played those games at the, at that time at Cole Fieldhouse, did you have a lot of family and friends that were able to watch you play? Oh. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, it 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 felt it felt like I I was coming home. You know, Bob Barry is from the area. Ted Sheck is from the area. Uh, uh, Paul Atkins is from the area. So we had some guys that was was local. So we 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 felt we felt like um, David against Goliath, but we also felt like we were home. Well, now, if I remember correctly, too, Al, didn't you all play against the University of Virginia and Ralph Sampson, the Cavaliers, the team that made the Final Four? Do you remember much about that game? I, I remember that game. Um, what I think stood out the the most to me was, uh, you know, I, Jeff Lamp was on that team. He was an All-American. Jeff Raker was on that team. He was an All-American. Um, I think I I can't I think I scored the first eight points in that game if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jeff Lamp was playing me, a six five kid out of Kentucky. Uh, I think I scored the first eight points. And Terry Holland, coach of, of Virginia at the time, called the timeout, and they had two little guards on on their bench, Othell Othell Wilson and. Um, Stokes, I'm, I can't remember his first name, but the rest of the Ricky game, Stokes was they a... had these two little guys. I, it might have been Ricky Stokes. They they had these two little guys chase me around the rest of the game. Uh, I was so looking forward to playing against Jeff Lamp because he he had received a lot of accolades up to that point. I also remember that uh, I don't think those guys. I don't think those guys really wanted to give up uh, their position or their status at Virginia to Ralph Sampson. I think Ralph was a freshman that year, uh, and so they, 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 you know, Ralph is seven four. I think our, our tallest guy at the time 
was was six six, and for some reason they had difficulty getting the ball inside to Ralph, right? Um, but I remember thinking that this guy is 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 awesome. I, I, that's all I can remember, uh, other than those two little guys who ended up being very good basketball players. Othell Wilson was a very good ball player, uh, but I can just. Uh, Ralph is the tallest guy I've ever played against, and the most skilled big man I think I've ever played against. And uh, it was it was an experience. I think they beat us by eighteen, uh, but it was a it was a, it was a very good experience. We had a young team at the time. I think I was a senior. I don't think there was another senior on the team that was playing much. Well, Dave Shahadi, Paul Atkins, but you know most. If you look at our stats for my four years. We had four guys that played the lion's share of, of the time my freshman through junior year. And so my senior year, I was the only guy that really had experience. So getting the opportunity to go down and play against one of the best teams in the country was an was a eye-opener for, uh, for a lot of our ball players. Well, you know, when you played for the Bison, Al, Bucknell was in a conference called the East Coast Conference. That conference no longer exists. Obviously, the schools are in different conferences now, including Bucknell and a few others, like Lehigh Lafayette and the Patriot League. Um, but for those who didn't know much about the East Coast Conference, you know, more of a younger generation, how good was the competition? It was some of the best in the nation, wasn't it? Oh, I, I think the East Coast Conference was one of the best conferences uh, because of how competitive it was, you know, we had we had some very good teams uh, in the East East uh, Division. You know, Temple and St. John, St. Joe's, and and uh, LaSalle uh, were very were very good programs. Very very good programs. I think uh, one year LaSalle and St. John's both were ranked in the top twenty. Uh, you know, and they were big five schools, so they 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 carried most of the muscle in the conference. But when you look when you look around the rest of the conference, we had schools like uh, Hofstra, Drexel, uh, Westchester, Ryder, uh, Delaware, Lafayette, Lehigh. It was it was a very every night in that conference. You knew that you were going to be in for a battle. There was there was no cupcakes. Even the schools that you might, well, you know, at, at one point I think Bucknell was looked at as a cupcake, uh, but he, schools like Ryder and Westchester uh, gave us some of the toughest games that we played in the conference. I think we uh, we managed to beat everyone in the conference at least once, except Temple. Temple is the only school that we didn't beat in my four years at Bucknell. And very, very good coaching. Absolutely. Yes, there were some great coaches. I mean, Temple, St. Joe's, uh, you go down the line, uh, LaSalle, some awesome coaches in the, the East Coast Conference at that time. And, of course, I know you've been to Soika Pavilion to watch the Bison play, but you played all of your games at Davis Gym. Talk a little bit about the magic of playing at Davis. Oh, um, the first the first home game my freshman year, um, I think you could you could have counted 
the number of people that were in the stands. Um, not long after that, though, by, by, by mid-season, we, we had to bring additional stands in to the arena, and you had to get there early if you wanted to get a seat. I mean, it, it, it changed so drastically. I remember thinking, man, is this what it's going to be like for four years, 20, 30 people in the stands? But that that Davis Gym became a madhouse. It, it was not a place that opponents wanted to come to play, for sure. Oh, I forgot to mention American also. How can I forget American? American was another good school in the corner. Exactly. Yeah, the East Coast Conference was really stacked. It was really loaded in, in that 70s, late 70s, early 80s time period. Now, of Absolutely. course, I unfortunately didn't get to see you play in person, but I have seen videos, videos of you, Al. And I tell you what, every time, you know, you obviously can shoot from long distance, you can shoot mid-range, but when you would go to the basket, you just seemed to glide there. How would you describe your on-court style? Did you compare your playing style uh, with anybody else, you know, in college at that time or maybe a pro player? Well, you know, my 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 idol growing up was Dr. J. And so I I, I, I love going to the basket. Um, you know, I found out early on that I was gifted with some with some jumping ability, you know. Um, and uh, I just I just I, I I think I live and play to hear the crowd ooh and ah. You know, um, it was something about finishing a fast break with a dunk or making a move on a guy and ending up with a layup. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I can't take credit for any of that. All of, all of that is God-given ability, but I watched Dr. J and I watched those guys in the NBA in college and how smooth they look going to the basket. Uh, and I just wanted to emulate those guys. I wanted to be one of those guys that would make this crowd stand on their feet. Well, I don't think there's any doubt. You made all the Bucknell fans, and you made the opponents stand and cheer. You were that great of a player. <laughs> well, now, you to this day, you still hold the record for 45 points scored by an individual in a Bucknell game and, and obviously, that was a great game. And I want to ask you to kind of relive that some. But was that not even your best all-around game? I, I think I think it was. Um, you know, um, and I always talk about this because, you know, Coach Wollum spent extra time with me after practice uh, shooting the basketball uh, during that stretch. Uh, I think we played we – played, um, American, and then I want to say we went to Westchester. It was like a, a string of, oh, excuse me, it was like a string of three or four games where I really shot the ball well. But the American game was so special because, you know, my mother made one home game at Bucknell, and it was the American game. And so I was, I was looking forward to mom coming up to see me play. That gave me a little extra uh, incentive to do well. Um, and, and I'm so proud that I had my best scoring game, best game uh, with my mother present. 
That is so neat. I didn't know that your mom, that was the only game she got to see you play at Bucknell? Well, she, at Bucknell. She would make, you know, my mom, believe it or not, I've got I've got an older brother and a younger brother. My younger brother played at Towson, Towson State. My older brother played at University of Baltimore. We've all been playing basketball since we were 11, 12 years old. Mom is not a basketball fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to believe, but she could take it or leave it. But my, my brother talked into coming up for the American game. I knew that she was coming, and and I just wanted to do something special for her, um, just because, you know. Um, and so it, it ended up being a great night for me. And so I can always say that I had my best college game with mom present. That is so awesome. So neat, Al. Well, you know, you're known for your scoring. You're known for your, you know, getting the crowd to stand up with the way you played offensively. But did you think you were a pretty good defensive player? I know Coach Wollum's teams weren't always known for great, outstanding defense. But do some people tend to think you were only a one-dimensional style player? I think I was a pretty good defensive player. Um, I'm not sure what my steal stats look like. Um I think I, I think I gave as good as I got. Um, you know, one guy um, from Colgate, Mike Ferrara, who was a great scorer. I think he's the only guy that uh, kind of went off on me. I think he ended up with forty or something. But he, I mean, he was a great scorer. Um, but I, you know, the only, the only way I know how to play, dog, is hard. You know, and I think, I think that played to my detriment at times because I. I wasn't a guy that could regulate. Um, I went out, I went 100% um, every game, every practice. Um, and so, you know, if, if you get the better of me, then I know that at the end of the day, you had to earn it because I wasn't giving anything away. Um, and I think we were a pretty good defensive team. Um, team. I think we played pretty good team defense. I, I wouldn't call myself an outstanding defensive player. I'm not a stopper. I'm a scorer, right? Uh, but I do take pride in, in, in wanting, wanting to one-up my opponent. So, uh, again, I, I didn't give anything away. I played as hard as I could. Um, usually it turned out pretty good. Yeah, I would say it turned out pretty well. Well, after your playing time at Bucknell ended, you were drafted by the Indiana Pacers of the National Basketball Association in the second round. Now, you know, some people think, well, that's all they have are two rounds, and that's true now for the last 10 years or, or so. Right. But back when you played, there were nine rounds, and before that, maybe even at that time, there were more than nine rounds, but at least nine rounds. So you were picked as the second pick of all the picks that Indiana had that year, you were so close to making that team's roster that season and just didn't make it. How tough was that experience for you because you were on the cusp of playing professional basketball? It, it was a great experience, Doug. Um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, there was some things that I probably should have done uh, in college to prepare me for for the NBA, um, uh, I was so, I had so much tunnel vision on getting the job done at Bucknell that I, I didn't have uh, the forethought to think about what was coming down the line. So when I when I got to Indiana, 
the first thing they did with me was move me to the point guard. Well, for four years, I had never handled the basketball. My job was to get out on the wing, run, and finish. Um, and so it was a it it, it 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 was like they threw me in the deep end. Um, you know, I didn't have the luxury of going to a, a great team where they may have had the ability to let me sit for a year or two to 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 kind of get my feet wet, learn the ropes and that type of thing. You know, Indiana was in need of players that, that could turn their program around immediately. Um, and so, you know, I, I had a great experience. Again, um, if I had known then what I know now, uh, I would have done some things differently, worked on some different things while I was at Bucknell to prepare me. But, you know, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't a guy that that went to school, played ball, and end up in the NBA. That was that was just a a blessing that I had an opportunity to go out there and play with some of those guys, see firsthand what the what the what the game was like, uh, meet some great people. Um, you know, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade the experience in for anything in the world. I, I really it kind of took me to another level just to know how awesome those guys had to be to go out and play as hard as they do, as many nights as they do, and to deal with all the things that's going on in society with, outside of the game uh, and stay mentally focused to, 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 to uh, achieve the goals that they achieve. So um, I wasn't, I was disappointed, but I really wasn't, you know, because I didn't, I didn't live my life to, to, you know, there's some guys, there's some guys that from a very young age, what they want to be is an NBA basketball player. Well, that wasn't me. You know, it, it was probably my junior year before I even realized that I might get a shot, you know. Um, and so to have the experience being drafted in the second round uh, and, and getting that opportunity was golden. You know, I, I asked Mike Muscala. I, I asked Mike Muscala a question um, at the last dinner that we had, and I asked him how was it to go from being a big fish, uh, the main focus of the team, to being a guy coming off the bench as a role player. You know. And he gave me a great answer. He said he, he did what he had to do, right? Uh, I wasn't that type of guy. You know, I, I from a very young age, maybe 14, I have been the focus of the offense, you know? Um, people look for me to score. Um, I was the main guy high school. I was the main guy in, in college. And then I go to a situation where I'm not the main guy anymore. I'm not the guy anybody's looking for to, to score, you know? And, and that's a difficult situation mentally. And if you don't know any other way to play, it's a difficult adjustment. And that's why I said I would have probably needed a year or two to kind of uh, get acclimated to what the game was like, get a feel for where I fit in. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get that opportunity, but again, uh, 
I would trade that experience and for anything in the world. Well, that's a great perspective out there, Al. I mean, because some people, if they have, you know, something like that happen, it crushes them for the rest of their lives. But you had a great perspective going in, and that's what allowed you to withstand some of that disappointment, I guess. Yeah, you know, everything everything that I've achieved uh, from my perspective has, has been way more than I ever thought that I would achieve. You know, I, I was a guy, I can remember my first basketball team. I was probably the tallest guy on the team, and so I was the rebounder. I had a bunch of guys around me that was designated as shooters. I was the guy to get the rebound and put it back in. And so once I got to high school, things started to change a little bit. Uh, and so I, I've always looked at everything that's happened to me in the game of basketball as a blessing. You know, um, I could have I, I could have gone to a, a, another school. I could have made a decision. I could have made so many bad decisions. Uh, but I think everything worked out exactly the way it was supposed to work out. You know, I went to McDonough High School when I had high schools in Baltimore City clamoring to get me to come to school in the city. You know, uh, my brother played at Douglas. I could have played with my brother for a couple years. You know, there was Dunbar, there was Lake Clifton, there was a few other schools in Baltimore City that were high profile, but I chose to go to McDonough because of the education. Um, and so that has always been my focus, focal point is making sure that I got my education. Anything else over and above that was just icing on the cake. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, now, do you think, I know they tried to make you a point guard. Do you think that you could have played off the ball? You could have played a wing. You could have been a number two in the NBA if they didn't you know, they didn't see your potential in that area? Or do you think, hey, if I'm going to make it in the NBA, I would have definitely needed to be a point guard? No, I, I think that if I had an opportunity to stay for a while, uh, I would have ended up in my natural position as a two. Um, the, um, you know, at that time, Indiana had some great shooting guards. Um, they had uh, Billy Knight. Who was nobody was going to unseat Billy Knight at the two? Um, Jer, uh, uh, Don Boosie played some two. Um, they they were pretty much set at the two. They needed a backup point guard to Johnny Davis, um, and so it was a bunch of us out there all trying to get that second spot um, at the at the point guard. But it wasn't my natural position. I, you know, once once they put me at point guard. I, I knew that it was going to be a rough road for me, but I was just hoping that I could hang on, get an opportunity to watch and learn. Um, but I think that if, if, if things had worked out and I would have had an opportunity to stay, then I would have ended up uh, back at my natural position. You know, I, I, I didn't realize how much running uh, there was in the NBA. When we got there, we had to run a mile. And we had to run it in under six minutes, I think. Uh, and, of course, being a rookie, I went out and tried to run the fastest time that I could possibly run. And um, from that point on, I was – my legs were shot. I mean, I, I was I, 
I wasn't the leaper that I, that you saw at Bucknell when I was in training camp. So I never really got an opportunity to show those guys uh, what my skill set really was. Um, so again, hindsight, you know, um, coming from Baltimore, there wasn't a whole lot of guys that had made it in the NBA prior to, you know, uh, that great Dunbar class, Reggie Williams and Muggsy Bogues. There wasn't a whole lot of NBA players that came out of Baltimore. So there was nobody here to give me uh, give me kind of the lay of the land. Uh, so had I known, I would have been more prepared. I spent a lot of time shooting that summer. I spent a lot of time uh, working on on uh, my ball handling um, during the summer. But what I really should have been doing was was running marathons or something. You know what I mean? Uh, so again, you know, you get one shot, man, and you know you uh, you give it the best that you can. Uh, the knowledge that you have. And so I went in and I did the best that I could. I think I did, I think I did well enough to earn a spot, um, but it wasn't up to me. It was up to Coach McCloskey. And so, um, again, I, you know, I, I, um, I, I love, I love my basketball career. You know what I mean? I, um, I enjoyed every minute of it. And, uh, I think I did pretty well for for a kid out of West Baltimore. <laughs> I can promise you did very well for a kid out of West Baltimore, Alan. You know, some people may not realize this. You also, for a short time, were an assistant coach on the bench with Coach Wollum for the Bucknell Breaking Bisons I, uh, at that time. <laughs> How did that come about? Yeah, we... Uh... I was, I actually went back to Baltimore and was coaching with my high school coach uh, at my high school. Um, and I, I was, I was contemplating going to graduate school. Um, and so I contacted Coach Wallop. I said, I, I'd like to come up and go back to school. Is, do you have a graduate uh, assistant position? Uh, and so, we were working on that, but unfortunately what happened is I, I got on campus and probably within the first couple of weeks on campus, I broke my foot. Um, and so that kind of sidelined me, not only from school, um, but, but it did give me an opportunity to, to stay with the team. And those two years that I spent with them, um, you know, I, I, was the, I was the initial guy to see Mike Butts I was the initial guy to see Bo Hyden. Um, I saw some great players, um, and we and those those two guys turned out to be very good ball players for us. Uh, and so I, I, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, you know, I I enjoyed coaching, uh, but I just didn't know what. Uh, what the next step was going to be. I put a couple applications in for some for some assistant positions at some schools around. Nothing panned out, uh, so I figured it was time to go to work. Well, looking back, though, I'm guessing you had no regrets about your basketball time with the Bison, whether playing or coaching. Oh no, I. I you know what? I um the the couple years I was there, we had. Uh, 
Jay Andrews, Eric Hedges, Steve Schrader, uh, BC, Allstead, um, uh, uh, um, uh, Mark Atkinson, uh, Chris, 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 Seneca, uh, Lazan. We had some great players, man. I, you know what? I I felt like those guys were my teammates. Sometimes I, I get confused and, and thinking about who did I play with. Did I play with Chris Seneca? Did I play with – those guys were like my teammates. Um, and I think I gave them – being there, I think I gave them a little bit of motivation, uh, you know, because – uh, you know, I, you know the history. You know where we were before, before 1977-78. You know where we were. We were not highly regarded as a basketball program. And so uh, those two years that I played, I think, was the beginning of what's turned out to be a very good run. You know, I, I was looking at the uh, win-losses, and I think we're almost 800 wins, and... 500 and something losses doing since Willem, since Coach Willem was there. So that's a that's a very good run for a program like Bucknell. That's an awesome run, as you mentioned. And you mentioned some of the, the people you helped bring to Bucknell, which they ended up winning a couple of ECC titles. But what about your teammates, those you did play with, those like Bob Berry, those like Pat Flannery, et cetera? Are you still close with those teammates from those teams? You know what? I think we've gotten closer um, after we left Bucknell. Um, you know, there's something about being able to look back and understand the sacrifices that people made. You know, um, how how hard. You know, a guy like uh, Lenny Klebanoff. You know, the, the 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 longer I get away from playing with Lenny, the more I appreciate what he brought to the table every night. You know, uh, Bob Barry was a great player. You know, um, Pat Flannery, Steve Siegel, still can't believe Steve Siegel's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, uh, those those guys, uh, 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 I don't know, I, it's, they, they're like my brothers, you know. Um, and, and we, we stay in touch as much as possible and we reminisce about the good times and we laugh about some of the things that went on while we were while we were playing but we have a great appreciation for what we we accomplished and um and 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 you know how the things the things that we we accomplished um no one could have foresaw that in 1977, no, no one could have foresaw us being very competitive for for two years. You know, um, you know, I'm not. I, I don't know if I'm an easy guy to play with. I know that I play. My teammates know I play hard, but they also know that I never saw a shot that I didn't like. You know, so so it's it's a great sacrifice sometimes to defer to a guy, especially when he's younger uh, than you are. Uh, and still come every day and and, and and give everything that you got. So we we man, we you know, I love those guys, man. I, I, I don't believe that I could have gone anywhere else and accomplished
accomplish the things that I did personally uh, and also accomplish the things that we did as a team and as a program without those guys. Amen. Amen. Well said, Al. Before we let you go, I have to ask you, where are you living now? What are you doing in terms of your job duties and stuff? I'm in Baltimore. Uh, I'm back in the community where I grew up. Um, I'm doing some mental health counseling, um, but I'm also doing a lot of uh, charity work, um, trying to help out um, drug addicted um, People trying to reintegrate themselves into society after being incarcerated. Uh, a lot of issues that that uh, our young people are dealing with. I'm just trying to stay as close as possible and do as much uh, work as I can to help as many people as I can. That's my mission now. You know, uh, I put in a lot of years in the business world. Uh, I found a niche in this mental health field, and it's, a, it's afforded me an opportunity to help way more people than I uh, would have ever helped had I stayed in business. Well, I tell you, you know, I think you epitomize, Al, what a Bucknell graduate, not just a Bucknell basketball player, but a Bucknell graduate's all about. You made the best of every situation you've been in, and you've decided to use what you've learned at Bucknell to help other people. That's kind of really what it's all about, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I taught for, for several years at Job Corps, and uh, it's a little disheartening to, to, to see how little emphasis our kids place on education. And so... Um, there, there's got to be help for uh, there's got to be help for people that don't understand how important it is to get a good education when they later in life. So that's that's where my focus is. My focus is on those people that may have neglected their education when they were younger, and now they find themselves in in, in difficult situations. Uh, and so, with the help of uh, Cloverdale, we've got a basketball association here, long-standing, 60 years. My father was one of the founding members, uh, and so we we help we help the youth in the community uh, through basketball, but also we do great community service work. Uh, and so, I, there's there's. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done, dog, and so I'm going to try to do as much as I can uh, in whatever time I have to, to help my community. Wow, that is awesome. I tell you what, Al, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. I, I just can't thank you enough for, for your gracious time and, and for all you've done. You are not only a Bucknell Athletics Hall of Famer, but you're an, a, a Hall of Famer overall of Bucknell University. Thank you so much, Al, and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Al Leslie, all-time great, and, of course, Athletics Hall of Famer at Bucknell University. Well, that will wrap up our edition of our podcast. Until next time, folks, thanks so much for joining us. So long, everybody. You've been listening to You Heard It Here. Stay tuned for another episode coming soon.